chapter number 4. Sure do appreciate you guys being ascending church and giving us the ability to take the gospel to people who ordinarily would not have access to it. I plan to take this team back into a village called Aguas Mortis that we went in for the very first time uh, back in June. And our partner, Quilombola Congregation, that we planted many years ago, has continued to visit this village and move them along the process. So it's going to be interesting for us to get back in there and see what's going on and see what the Lord will do. Next Sunday, uh, we will be in the midst of it. Uh, Dane Caldwell will be taking my place here, so it's always good to know that we have somebody that can stand in and never miss a beat. So, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 is where we are today. Uh, we are going to pick up where we left off last week, and that is verse number 14. So I'm reading from my New American Standard, and there's a reason for that, right? All right, here we go. Verse 14 says this, Paul writing to that Corinthian church which he himself planted several years earlier, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as beloved children, as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who were arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Uh, no matter what we identify as the central idea of this text, somehow or another, we have got to figure in the spirit of this passage. Because in this passage, well, I think we see Paul's shepherd heart as clearly as we see it anywhere in any of his writings. We see him talking to a church that he planted probably six or eight years prior, and he really does demonstrate his care for them. Not only just care, but he demonstrates for them pastoral care. Now, that is something that the church today really needs defined for her. Pastoral care. What is biblical pastoral care? Because I've got to be honest with you. In the society in which we live, where the church takes more of its clues from culture than it does from Scripture, we've kind of lost the track on what real biblical pastoral care is for a group of believers. To be honest with you, it's kind of degenerated today into just equating it simply with hospital visits and having a personal chaplain to hold your hand, powder you behind, and wipe your nose every time you get the sniffles. And that has been ingrained in us through maybe poor models in the past and by culture. 
So because of that, a lot of people, when they are looking and trying to make a decision based on what church they are going to affiliate with and what church they want to join, a lot of times this, this idea of pastoral care comes into play because we have this consumer mentality of what are you going to do for me today and how are you going to serve me this week? So it really figures in and what am I going to get from this church if I join it? And pastoral care is one of those things that people are looking for. Because we've grown up really a bunch of spiritually immature folk, just like we're down there in Corinth, that constantly need a life coach or somebody to walk with them and take care of them and constantly pat them on the back and build them up. Now, is that pastoral care? Well, it may be to some extent, but I want to say that misses the heart of what pastoral care is from a biblical perspective. So I want to speak to you today for the time we have left on this subject. Who cares? Who cares? Because there are some things that are passed off today as care that really isn't care at all. So who is it that cares and what is it that is pastoral care as defined by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? I think this text highlights three things that I want to point out to you today about who cares. Number one, in verses 14 and 15, I think this text underscores the fact that those who care are concerned for the spiritual progress of the family. The spiritual progress of the family. Now there's a couple of ideas here I need to get my arms around real quick to make sure you see the textual connection to what it is we're saying about this particular passage. Notice one of the things that you can't miss in this passage is all the familial terminology that Paul uses. And by familial, I mean, notice how he refers to this group of believers in terms of endearment and intimacy as if they were part of his family, and indeed they were. Check out what it is that Paul says in verse number 14. He says, I'm writing to you as my beloved children. Then in verse 15 he says, I became your father through the gospel... And then in verse number 17, he talks about Timothy and he says, who is my beloved and faithful child. So pastoral care, we can say, is concerned for the spiritual progress of the family just based on how Paul weights this text with familial terminology. But notice, it's also about progress, progress, progress. Can I say to you most everything I do from a shepherding standpoint, here's what I have in the back of my mind. How is this action going to pick the spiritual ball up and move it downfield with what we do? And if I can't answer that question in my mind, then guess what? I count whatever proposal was before me as a waste of time. Because if it doesn't move the needle spiritually and make spiritual progress, then what in the world are we even involved in such activities for? Because we're about expanding the kingdom and moving the ball downfield. So progress is the name of the game. Are you with me? Alright, so check this out now. And by the way, there are some things you can do that, some things that churches can do that doesn't move the ball downfield at all. As a matter of fact, it'll get you a 15 yard penalty. 
And ultimately the other team scores safety on you because you backed up so far in the end zone. Well, we're not about going backwards. We want to be going forward making progress. So notice what it is that the text underscores about this as Paul talks about making spiritual progress. Verse number 14, he says, Those who care are concerned for the spiritual progress of the family. And how do they do it? Three ways. Number one, it avoids public embarrassment. Man, there's, there's very little room and there's very little progress that can be made when folk are embarrassed. Have you ever had somebody like that that you felt like their aim and their goal in life was just to publicly humiliate you? And Paul doesn't do that at all. Notice what he says here in verse number 14. He says, I do not write these things to shame you. Now there's our word. Underscore that word shame. Because here's what that word really means. That word really means to strip bare and to expose before all. You know, I have this horrible recurring dream. I don't know what it says about me. It probably just says, boy, you're messed up in the mind. But I have this recurring dream that I am preaching and in the middle of my sermon I realize I'm naked. And nobody said anything about it. And I'm, I'm trying to cut, you know, used to in a traditional church you could hide behind a big pulpit. But I don't have anything to hide behind up here. But you see, that, that is shameful and, it, and I think it gets to the fact that subconsciously I, I, I don't want to be put on public display and made a spectacle and, and made uh, ashamed and embarrassed and all those types of things. And Paul says, I'm not wanting to do that. I'm not wanting to strip you bare so that everybody can see all of your blemishes and all of your flaws. Now check this out. I take a shower every day. Are you following me? Thank you. I don't have any problem with being stripped naked in my shower. I'm not ashamed at all. But look here, if we had one of them old public showers like they had in 8th grade gym, y'all remember that? That's going to be a problem. <laughs> We're not going there. And you see, that's what Paul is talking about spiritually here. He's saying, I do not do this in order to shame you or to embarrass you publicly because that would make no spiritual progress. And listen, I, I want you to know that I, I never want to do that. I don't. I, I, I never. And if you think that sometimes maybe I was preaching about you, I promise you I'm not. Maybe the Spirit of God's making it intensely personal for you. But I promise you I will never air out any dirty laundry from the pulpit. I'm just not going to do things like that that are shameful because those things are detrimental to spiritual progress. You embarrass somebody, what can you expect to get out of them? They're going to retreat even more rather than going forward. So check it out here what Paul says. He says, I, I, I'm concerned, uh, pastoral care is defined as, as being concerned for the spiritual progress of the family and it avoids public embarrassment. But now notice how this progress comes in with these two words. Here's the first word. He said, I do not write to shame you, but to admonish you. You see, that has a forward-looking dimension to it. It's not an inward dimension, which is what shame does. Shame causes us to focus on ourself. And Lord have mercy. We've got enough insecurity issues, do we not? I mean, everybody's got them. 
but I don't want you knowing mine and you don't want me knowing yours. That would be counterproductive. But Paul says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to admonish you. And there's that forward-looking dimension. He uses another word that has the same forward-looking aspect to it when he says in verse number 16, I exhort you. So admonish and exhort brings to the table that forward progress type of dimension to these two words. So number one, how does Paul get progress? Well, by avoiding public embarrassment. Number two, by striving for mental engagement. For mental engagement. You see, here's what that word admonish means. It's built on a root word that, 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 is, that means our mind. So when somebody is admonishing you, what are they doing? They're trying to get you to stop and think. And you know, sometimes we need to do that. Before we do anything, we need to just stop and think. Now why is Paul trying to get them to think? And why is he trying to give them another perspective on what it is that's going on down there in Corinth? Because here's the principle. If you change the way somebody thinks... What by virtue of that do you also change? The way they act. Exactly right. So if you want to change action, you don't do that by putting legalistic rules up there. It doesn't change anything. But if you change the way somebody thinks, then, then the action will naturally follow. You see, here's the spiritual principle. We do what we believe. We don't necessarily do what we say we believe, we do what we really believe. So here's what you can say. Our ethic, our behavior grows out of our theology. It's very important. Those two are inextricably linked. I had a professor in seminary who was a Harvard PhD, brilliant man. Not only was he intellectually astute, but I mean he was spiritually sharp. And he used to say to us, I can follow you around today on your lunch break for 10 minutes. And I can observe your behavior for 10 minutes and I can tell you what you really believe. What your core values are. What your innermost convictions are. And he was saying that based upon this same principle right here that Paul is saying, I admonish you, trying to get them to change their thinking because if you change your thinking, you change your behavior because we do what we believe because ethic grows out of theology. So many folk today, I hear these contemporary churches talk about how, you know, we're just not big on doctrine or theology because that's divisive. Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. If a church is not about theology, about God then dear Lord, what are we about? We can't be about anything. Hear me, theology matters. You do what you believe. I do what I believe. And anything else is just us talking. And Paul's going to have something to say about that a little bit later. So here we go. How does Paul keep the spiritual progress going through pastoral care? How does he... Move the ball downfield. Well, number one, by avoiding embarrassment, verse number 14. Number two, by striving for mental engagement. Hey, man, I'm not done with that yet. Is that okay? You know what it is that I try to do every Sunday? That right there. I try to admonish folk. I try to engage people right here between their ears. And one of the ways that, one of the things that gets me 
that's like waving a red flag in front of a bull is when somebody comes in and I don't have them. When I don't have somebody, I try harder. If somebody comes in and they're on their phone during my whole message, or if they're just, I can just tell they're not engaged, and by the way, I can tell, I can tell who's with me and who's not, it makes me just want to try. So those Sundays when you hear me getting louder and more verbose and more animated, it's because there's somebody out there that's not engaged. And I'm wanting to engage them. You know, I'm telling you, I'm tempted sometimes just to go and stand by the person who's not engaged. Now, I'm not saying that Kaylin's not engaged. I'm just using her as an example, huh? So if I ever come, that's the beauty of a wireless mic. I can go anywhere I want to. So if I want to engage you and you're on your phone, I'm not just come stand right next to you. Because, <laughs> man, I want to engage folk. If I can't engage you, I don't have a shot at seeing the gospel transform your life. We're to renew our mind according to God's Word. And it starts with mental engagement. Number three, under point number one, Paul's going to move the ball downfield by avoiding public embarrassment. Number two, by striving for mental engagement. And here, pastoral care is based on personal investment. Why was he even concerned about this? Look what he says. He says, I admonish you, I'm trying to engage you mentally as my beloved children. Is there anybody that you have more an investment in in this life than your kids? Nobody. Is there anybody whom you care about their progress more in life than your very own children? Probably not. So why is Paul even worried about this? Why is he given pastoral care? Hey, pastoral care is based on a personal investment. And he's saying, you are my children. So there's a problem if you have a pastor or if you have a grace group leader or grace group members who don't care for those whom God's put under their care. What they're saying is, I don't, I don't care for you because I don't have any investment in your life. You can wash out and be a failure and it doesn't bother me a bit. But can I say this? I've got an investment in you. I do. And you know, you always want to protect your investment. Did you know that? Hey, those of you who have a couple million dollars invested in Wall Street, guess what the first page is you look at in the newspaper tomorrow? Why? Because you are worried about your investment. You want to protect your investment. You see what I'm saying, folks? Just do that. And if you've got skin in the game with somebody, you want to make sure that they stay on a track of spiritual progress that moves the ball downfield. And that's the basis for pastoral care. I hear folk all the time talk about how they feel like nobody cares for them. And could it be because nobody has an investment in their life? Hey, Grace Groups, y'all know that the way we primarily get pastoral care done at Grace Church is through our Grace Groups. Y'all know that? And then when you're investing in folk who come, and that's what we do, that's one of the purposes of Grace Church, we invest in you. I promise you invest in folk and you've got interest in them. Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Exactly right. So let's get back to this text. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, those who care are concerned for the spiritual progress of the family and they care for the family by avoiding embarrassment. Oh man, listen. 
just gets all over me when I see parents correct their children and embarrass them in public. That's not a way to correct your children. That's going to drive them farther away from you and cause them to resent you. If little Johnny's doing something bad, does he need a rod? Yes, he does, but maybe not right here in public. I I remember some of the greatest fear that my mama used to put in in my life was, you wait till we get home. Or, you wait till your daddy gets home. Huh? <laughs> yeah, she, she might not embarrass me in public at church, but by golly, when we got home and in private, I was about to pay a price. Here we go. Avoids public embarrassment, strives for mental engagement based on a personal investment. But number two, those who care provide a spiritual pattern to follow. Here's one of the ways that you can provide pastoral care for those whom you are invested in. It's by providing them an example, a pattern to follow. Look what it is that Paul says in verse number 16. Therefore I exhort you, here you go again, he's encouraging them. That's that forward looking dimension. Be imitators of me. I love the Greek word. The Greek word is mimetai. Anybody want to take a guess on what English word we get from it? Man, look at there. Y'all are Greek scholars already. Mimic. It means to mimic me. And have you ever noticed that's one thing children do? Especially to their mother and father, they'll mimic them. And sometimes, sometimes it's annoying because you say something to them and they'll repeat it right back to you. You ever got in that repeating game? Are they copying you, saying everything that you say? And that's what Paul gives us here. He says, mimic me. Now, boy, that's pretty serious stuff. Because when Paul says, mimic me, that doesn't mean don't do as I do, do as I say. That means do as I do. So, if you have little Johnny or little Susie or whatever she is in Christ, a spiritual babe, can you say to them, you follow me as I follow Christ? Because look here, these Corinthians didn't have a Bible. New Testament hadn't even been, been canonized at the time. A lot of it's still in the process of being written. They didn't have a... Here's the Bible they had, the Apostle Paul. So they had to watch him. And Paul's got to be pretty confident. I've got a thousand little spiritual baby eyes on me. And they are going to grow up in Christ and they're going to be just like me. Man, what a responsibility that is. So he says... Mimic me, because those who care, those who are providing pastoral care, which you might as well just go ahead and say, everybody in Grace Church, because we're not caring for somebody, we're just out of God's will. That's all there is to it. So if you're going to provide pastoral care, you've got to give them a pattern to follow. So what is that pattern? Man, that's a great question, and Paul's going to answer it. What does that pattern entail? Well, number one, notice Paul. How was Paul? How can he say... Be imitators of me. Well, look with me uh, right here in the very next verse. He says, for this reason. Now, what is that for? When he says, for this reason, he's, he's saying, I'm about to tell you something based on what I just said. So I'm saying, be imitators of me. And here's how you're going to imitate me. For this reason, this is what I'm doing. So he's wanting them to imitate this immediate action which he's about to take. So notice what the action was. Check it out in verse number 17. For this reason, for the reason that you can imitate, that you can mimic me, I have sent to you Timothy. 
So if you're going to be mimic worthy, here's the first thing you've got to be. You've got to be spiritually productive. Spiritually productive. Now what do I mean by that? Timothy was Paul's disciple. He had won him to faith in Christ. He had poured his life into him. He calls him my beloved son in the gospel. Paul was spiritually productive. And when he tells those Corinthians to be imitators of me, here's what he's saying. I want you to have a Timothy. You've got to be fruitful. Imitate me. And a part of this imitation is I've got to be a disciple maker myself. If I'm not a disciple maker, how can I expect anybody else to be a disciple maker? If I'm not spiritually productive, how can I expect anybody else to be spiritually productive? So Paul says, imitate me. And notice what he says, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy. And can I say to you, it just always works like this. Some of my greatest critics in ministry over the past 30 years have been folk who had never produced a dang thing spiritually. Do you notice that's the case? Or is it just me? Sometimes, no not sometimes, all the time, the people who shoot the greatest darts at those who are walking in the light are those who haven't produced anything spiritually. There's no fruit. There's no disciples. They've never won anybody to faith. And can I just be honest with you? Your life is not mimic worthy. So it doesn't bother me a bit. Somebody who shoots at me who isn't doing anything to move the ball downfield, you might as well be talking like Charlie Brown's teacher because old Pastor Richie ain't giving you any credibility at all. Now look, if somebody who's in the game, brother, who's moving the needle, says something to me and they have every right to do it, then I want to tell you just as equally my antennas go up and I say, hey, wait, let's talk about this. Because the people who I want to listen to, the people who I want to mimic are those who are getting it done, who are spiritually productive. Check out number next. How else are we going to mimic Paul? Well, he was spiritually productive, but also he lived beyond personal preference. Now check this out, Grace Church. We, we are What kind of church do we say we are? Now, do we just say that or do we do that? By golly, we're looking to get more involved in sending and sending and sending and sending more and more and more. So yeah, we do. But So every time since we're ascending church, every time you're reading the Scripture and you see the word sent, man, your eyeballs ought to be riveted to it. Because it's going to tell us something about how we can be ascending church. So look, here's our word right here. Look what Paul says in verse number 17. For this reason I have sent, underline it, put a circle around it, do whatever. And Paul says, I want you to imitate me. People who don't sin are not mimic worthy. And Paul's trying to get the Corinthian church to imitate him. And what I see in that is this, is that Paul lived beyond personal preference. How do I see it? Can I just be honest with you? Paul was down in Ephesus when he wrote this letter. And he had his hiney in a crack. All you got to do is read the book of Acts and see what was going on and how, how he was in a bind down there. And listen, when I'm in a bind, the last thing I want to do 
is send away my number one man. He's the only guy I got here in my corner. He's the one I lean on the most. He's the one I need the most. So Paul, do you want to send Timothy off? Heck no, I don't want to send him off. I would prefer him stay here. But look what Paul did. Paul didn't live by personal preference. He didn't. And can I say to you, if you're going to be mimic worthy, you can't live by what you want. You can't live by what just fits within the circle of your own comfort. You can't live by your preferences. Hey, Cliff Myers, look at me. If you and I would have lived by our personal preferences, you remember that first grace group that me and you led together down at the lake house about two years ago? Man, that was a good group, wasn't it? It was fun. We had, I mean, we just had, we had beloved children in there, didn't we? We had an intimate family. But we're ascending church. So we had to make a decision. Are we going to sit here and be comfortable and just spend time around the people we like? Or are we going to move the ball forward down the field and are we going to be big boys and send some of them? And we made a hard decision against our personal preference. Did you want to do it? No. No. But for the sake of the kingdom, did we do it? You better believe it. And that's why we did it. And that's, that's what's going to get every grace group in our church to do it. Because I want to tell you, once you've been with people and you've been investing in them, you just want to stay around them. I understand that. We do. We want to stay around them. But for the kingdom's sake, sometimes we've got to look at our Timothy and say, Man, I don't know how I'm going to do it without you, but he's worthy. And if we're going to move the ball downfield, you've got to go, son. I've been pouring into you all this time so you can get up and go. And you get up and go and you multiply and be spiritually productive for the glory of God. So if you're going to be mimic worthy, Paul says two things. Number one, you've got to be productive. You've you got to start producing Timothys. Number two, you can't live by personal preference. When you produce that Timothy, just know from the get-go that you're producing him for the purpose of sending him out. It's just like your children. Did you know that? Somebody said the other day, from the time a child is born, you are preparing that child to go off and be a mature adult who lives on their own outside of your house. Isn't that right? And that's the way we do with spiritual babes as well. Notice number next, not only was Paul mimic worthy because he was spiritually productive and he lived beyond personal preference, but look what else. He lived for kingdom priorities. That's why he sent Timothy off. He says in verse 17, I have sent Timothy for you, uh, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways. Now watch this. Paul says, mimic me. But he didn't go down there himself. He sent his disciple who he said, he will remind you. So if you want to follow me, follow him. Because he's been with me so long, he has my mind on this. He's going to remind you of my ways. Now let me just stop right there and say that if you're going to give pastoral care then by golly, you've got to be spiritual productive and raise up some Timothys. If not, you're going to die in the process. Let me illustrate it to you like this. I try to speak into young men's life as much as I can, especially in ordination service. And we had an ordination service at Grace Church years ago, and we was down, still down in a little building. And, it was young, and here's, here's what all... Man, this is the mindset that all of these young bucks who come out of seminary have, that they're, the, the, they're going to be the, the, the superman of pastoral ministry and 
the church is going to love them and grow under their leadership like it never has before. They're going to stand up and preach and people are going to stand up and say, Speak, old trump of God, where have you been all my life? I mean, that's just their mentality. I know that is because I was one of them at one time. <laughs> so here's what I asked that young man. I said, all right, here's the deal. You've been in seminary, college and seminary now for six years. You've drugged your wife and your two small children through seminary. They've had to sacrifice for this call of God on your life. You get out of seminary and you get a good little a church, white frame building, ran by deacons, the, the, uh, committee driven, the whole nine yards. You've been there a year. They told you you couldn't take a vacation until you've been there a year because that's what they do to you. No matter what, what you've just come out of, you've got to work like a dog for a year and then we'll let you go off for a week. So you've been telling your two young boys who are six and eight years old, son, on January 7th, we're leaving here and we're going to Orlando, Florida, and I'm going to take y'all to Disney World. Those kids have been looking forward to that for the past two years, waiting till Daddy takes us to Disney World. January 7th, you come along, you load your kids up, you get in a, in a van, in your minivan, and you drive to Orlando, and you park in front of the Magic Kingdom, and they're sitting there, and their eyes are this big, they can't believe they're there, they can't wait to get in there. You get them in for a half an hour, and your cell phone goes off. Chairman of Deacon's wife dropped dead from a massive heart attack. What you going to do, Pastor? Without fail... Every young pastor I ask that question to, you know what he says? He says, I'm going to load my family up in my van and I'm driving back. And I said, congratulations, you just lost your kids to the devil forever. You know how I know? Because I've seen it happen hundreds of times. Pastors, kids, resenting the church because they can't even have a family vacation that they've been looking forward to for two years without daddy having to run back and preach a funeral. Here's what you better do if you're going to provide pastoral care. Raising up a Timothy is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Let me tell you what you do, son. You've been there a year. You have better raised up a leader to cover for you while you're going with your kids. Because your kids are the priority in that week, not your church. I don't care who dies. You don't even tell your kids about it. You hug your kids and say, oh, isn't it good that God allowed us to be down here? You don't even bring up church while you're on vacation. Because if you do, your kid's going to grow up as soon as they get 18. They're going to cut a trail and they ain't never looking back at church as long as they live, I can tell you, because they resent it, because it robbed them of their childhood. Guys, we got to raise up leaders. And can I just say to you that something has always not seemed right to me about the way traditional Southern Baptist churches choose their leaders. There's something wrong, Dr. John, when a Southern Baptist church that's 140 years old has a vacancy on staff and they have to go out and hire a paid gun who they don't know and they, that the, the paid gun don't know them to come in and provide pastoral care, which they can't do because they have no investment in them. It's going to take years before they have an investment in them before they can look at them and call them family. There's something wrong with that process. And can I say to you, maybe that's why so many Southern Baptist churches have gone backwards for the past 75 years. Here's what ought to be happening. Pastors and churches ought to be raising up Timothys 
So when one staff member leaves, by golly, we got 10 standing in line to take his place. We don't have to go through 100 resumes. We don't have to call the associational office and ask do they know anybody because we are a leadership factory right here in our own church. Man, I'm just telling you. There's something that's not right when a church can't even produce a leader in 120 years. And I'm so grateful to God. Listen to me. Y'all remember, about July, we lost our worship leader. I'm so grateful to God that we didn't have to get in the resume business and we didn't have to call a search committee together like traditional churches do to go out and find us somebody who has a gospel wave hairdo and who says the word God with three syllables in it to come and lead us in worship. Hey, Jack, thank you. Tiffany, thank you. Colton, thank you. Stephen, thank you. Who else is a part of it? Kalen, thank you. All of these singers, thank you. Because by golly, you saved us from probably making a horrible mistake. Because most of the time it don't work when you go out and bring in a hired gun. Let me tell you what works. By golly, you raise somebody up right here in the midst that has your DNA. That's a part of this beloved family. And can I say to you, you know it's our heart to plant another church in the panhandle of Florida. And we thought we was going to do it by bringing somebody in and transferring our DNA. Can I just say to you, that might not be it. And maybe that's why we haven't yet. Because it's going to take somebody who grows up right here within us who has our DNA before we can ever reproduce ourselves. And I've got my eye on a couple of you. Maybe the Lord's doing something. Hey, I've got to stop meddling. I'm meddling way too much today, ain't I? Here we go. Why was Paul mimic-worthy? Because he was spiritually productive. He lived beyond personal preferences. He lived for kingdom priorities. That's what it's all about. It's not about me and my comfort. It's about moving the ball downfield and whatever it takes, I'm going to do that. Hey, watch me. We've got all eternity. All eternity to hang out together in glory with Him around the throne. So I can sacrifice not being around you for a little while, right? Because we're going to make up for it eternally. But we only got a little while down here to move this ball. So let's get to it. Check it out. Number next, and I'm done here. He had consistent practices. What is it that makes somebody mimic worthy? Who, Who says, follow me as I follow him? They're consistent in their practice. Check out with me right here, verse number 17. Underscore these two words. Timothy, I'm sending him so you can imitate me. Man, that's just strange. We don't think of it that way. I'm going to come to you. Y'all can watch me and imitate me. No. Paul's done past it all. This is second generation leadership stuff. So look what he says. He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere. Underline that word. And what is the second word you need to underline? In every church. You know what that means? That means Paul was consistent. That means Paul didn't do one thing when he was with one crowd and another thing when he was with another crowd. Paul was Paul no matter where he was. He was absolutely consistent. And man, can I just say, consistency may be one of the most vital ingredients in our spiritual walk. Until we get this issue of consistency taken care of, then we are not follow-worthy. We're not mimic-worthy. 
until we're consistent. And boy, I'm so grateful to God that we've got a core of folk here that I don't have to get up on Sunday morning and wonder who's going to be at church today. Because I can count on you because you are as consistent as the sunrise. And can I say, may the Lord bless you because that's maybe one of the most indispensable elements of being mimic worthy. Paul says, this is what I do everywhere and in every church. i got to hurry. Check out the third thing here. Who cares? What is pastoral care? Where those who care are concerned for the spiritual progress of the family. We've seen that. Those who care provide a spiritual pattern to follow. And then finally, those who care embrace the simple principles of faith. Simple principles of faith. And here they are. Paul gives them to us right here in verses 18 through 21. Look what he says. Verse number 21, Some of you become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. I know a lot of people who talk big on Facebook. But you get them in person and you couldn't get a word out of them. You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? Check out number next. But I will come to you if the Lord wills. So here's, a, here's one of the simple principles of faith by which people who are mimic-worthy live by. Number one, they live on God's agenda. They live on God's agenda. Look what Paul said again in verse number nine. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. I'm not going to come to you when I want to. I'm going to come to you when He wants me to go, when it's His will for me to be there. They live on God's agenda. Now, can I, can I be honest with you? I've had to swallow this one this week. But here's what I've learned as a missionary. It don't ever go the way I want it to go. But it always goes the way he wants it to go. Because he is sovereign. Right, Katie Dollar? So let me tell you what happened. We get in a group together to lead back to our, our home territory in Cunarupu, Madanyal, Brazil about two months ago. At the same time, two months ago, we realized that Heather needs to renew her passport. Not a problem. We've got two months. Get it in the mail today, baby. Not only get it in the mail, because people who send off to the regular passport office have been getting them back in two weeks, right, Savannah? But I tell you what, just to make sure, let's go ahead and pay the extra money and let's send it to the expedite office. Expedite's supposed to be quicker than the regular office, which is two weeks. Well, we sent the thing off months ago. And guess what? We ain't got no passport. Heather's holding an airline ticket that she can't use. So look, everything within me says, all right, I'm out. If Heather can't go, I ain't going. But you know what it means when you live by the simple principles of faith and you live on God's agenda? God, you knew this before the foundation of the world. And somehow or another, I trust your sovereignty that it's not meant for Heather to go on this trip because this is out of the ordinary. The expedite office should have had this thing back by the time our tickets even arrived, it should have had it back. But something's going on here that's out of the ordinary. So God, I just trust you. So we're going to have a fantabulous time in the jungle of Brazil minus Heather Allen. <laughs> God's agenda. How much are you going to respond to that? If you don't respond to it that way, you get pretty anti-government. You know what I mean? I mean, how incompetent do you have to be at a passport office not to get a, an expedited order back who somebody's paid for in twice the time that the dang regular office don't get it back? Well, <laughs> that's where I would be today if it wasn't for the fact that it ain't the passport office that controls my life. <laughs> right? 
thank the good God of heaven. It's not incompetent government agencies that are in control of our life. But it's the sovereign Lord of glory. So God, we submit to your will. And we're going to do it on your agenda. Check number next. Live on God's agenda. Not only do they live on God's agenda, but they look for kingdom authority. You know what kingdom authority is? Look what Paul says in verse number 19. He says, But I will come to you soon if the Lord's will, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Because look what he says. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Now, here's how some folk would interpret that. Paul's saying, I ain't come down to listen to you smack your guns. I'm going to come down and whoop your butt. Right? He's not challenging them physically. He's challenging them spiritually. And he said, I don't care about all this big talk. You can be the most eloquent speaker. You can give the most airtight arguments you want to. You can talk about all you believe and all you want to do. But if there's no power in that to change your own life, if you haven't lived by what you're espousing, then it's empty words. But Paul was saying, let me tell you something. My gospel has transformed my life. And that's why he's mimic worthy. So Paul's saying, I, I don't want to come listen to your philosophy. I want to come see what your philosophy has done in your life. Now, I don't want to get too far deep off in political waters, but can I say there's a perfect example on the news for us right now. You do know that the state of Texas have an, has an immigration problem that's astronomical. 30,000 or so walking across the border. I'm not anti-immigration. I'm not. Maybe God's sending those folk here to hear the gospel because we hadn't went there. Huh? And God's going to get them to hear the gospel one way or another. But nonetheless, immigration is still an issue. So if Texas has got 30,000 walking across the border, I don't know how many Florida has, but listen to what all these liberal politicians who are the mayors of sanctuary cities say. Oh, Texas, y'all shut up. Quit our... Florida... Y'all shut up. This is the national policy on immigration. I'm not saying the national policy is good. I'm just saying if it's a national policy, the nation ought to help these states that are being overran. But what happens when Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis put some on a bus and send them up to these liberal places like Martha's Vineyard in New York City? Huh? They started hollering saying... Wait a minute, we're not set up for this. We, we believe in open borders, but we can't do that. Well, you know what? That's a lack of power. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. You've been espousing a philosophy that you yourself can't live by, but yet you're going to chastise us for not living by it. You see, that's what it is, and that's what Paul is saying to these folk here. You can't say one thing and do another. If you're going to say it, then by golly, it better be lived out in your life or otherwise it has no value to me at all. That's why Paul says, I'm going to come and I'm going to find out not your words but your power. I'm going to see what Christ has done and how you've been transformed and how you're able to live by the standards of the gospel. And if not, you're discounted. Sit down, shut up, say no more. Check out number next and I'm done. The simple principles of faith. They live on God's agenda. They look for kingdom authority because the kingdom does not consist in words but in power. And here it is, number 21. Then they leave it in your arena. Paul told them what he's going to do. And then look at verse number 21. What do you desire? What do you want then? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You know what he did? 
He laid it all out there. And then he left it in their court. And this is what he said. It's your move now. And based on the move that you make right now is going to determine whether I come to you and we hug one another and fall upon each other's neck and have a great old time together or whether I come down there with a rod and I take each one of you behind the woodshed and wear your hineys out. It's in your arena. So, I think here's a good place to stop. Based on what the Lord has said to you recently, it's your move. It's in your arena. And your next move is going to determine whether or not the Lord, who every son whom He receives, He loves, and every son whom He loves, He does what? He disciplines. So based on what the Lord has said to you, and based on what your next move is going to be, is the Lord going to come to you this week with a rod and discipline you? Or is he going to come to you and y'all going to have sweet fellowship together? And that's the question I have to ask myself. It's in my arena. Do I choose the rod or do I choose the warm embrace of fellowship? Those who care, those who care are mimic worthy. Those who care have an investment in folk. And those who care pick up the ball in their own arena and they move that thing down field a little bit so that the Lord doesn't have to come to them with a rod but can come to them with a warm embrace. May it be said of Grace Church this week. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that comes with your word. How you show us exactly who we are, where we are, and what we need to do to get to where you would have us to be. And Lord, you have certainly spoken to us today. You have put the ball on the 50-yard line. It's in the middle of our arena. And God, we pray this week that we as a church are going to pick that ball up and move it downfield. Whether it's in Brazil among the Quilombolas, whether it's right here in Bonifay, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our school, at our work, no matter where it is, may we move the ball forward this week so that we don't expect discipline from our Father, but a loving embrace. I pray for those who are here today, Lord, you have said things to them that are so pressing, they need to take care of them right now. You are calling some to faith for the very first time. They've never been born again. And today you are calling them out and you're calling them to yourself. I pray they would respond by faith. There are some here that you're calling to be a part of this church, this church that will take them in as family and provide pastoral care for them and see that they can progress in their walk with Christ. I pray, God, today you give them the faith to act on that and do something about it before they leave. Whatever it is you've said, God, may we be faithful because the ball is indeed in our court. We pray that you'll be pleased and you'll be glorified in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask Dr. John Wilson. He's already up here on one side. Colin Dollar's on the other. There's something you need to do decision that you need to make. Find one of these men. They'll pray with you. They'll help you be accountable. They'll help you get it done. But in Jesus' name, just be faithful.
right, Grace Church. Before we're dismissed, um, it's, it's my privilege again to introduce to you another uh, perspective member here at, at Grace Church, and we're finishing up today, the last, I mean, it's been, what, six weeks in a row we've been able to present somebody, and um, we're going to start a new members class in November because we have more people that are joining, and so as soon as we can finish presenting, we have, it's time to have a, another uh, new members class, but uh, today I'm going to ask Miss Haley Sumner to come stand up next to me. She's right here. Uh, Miss Haley Sumner is, uh, you know, she, she's been coming to my grace group, and just the uh, insight that she has, um, the hunger that she has for the word, um, when she talks and contributes, is just usually profound things that she says in, 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 in grace group time. Um, I, just, I, I just love her heart, her smile. She just, I don't think she's ever in a bad mood. Um, she just is exuding joy, and when you just you, 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 uh, love being around people like Haley. Uh, she's been, when she came to the new members class, we asked her to share her testimony. And so I've actually asked her to share her testimony to you guys this morning. And so Haley, why did you come to Grace Church and what has the Lord been doing in your life the last couple years? Um, so to answer the question, I came to Grace Church because I was seeking out preaching that I could chew on throughout the week. And that didn't just have an emotional effect on me on Sundays. And so that was something I'd never experienced in my life. Um, and then what kept me, aside from the preaching, was everybody here. The way that whenever I first walked in, I was greeted as a friend, as a sister, as a daughter. I was just loved on immensely. So, is this testimony time? Yes. Okay. I'm just, yes, it is. So I'm going to try to keep it quick because I'm very nervous and y'all are probably hungry. Um, I was not raised in a home that exercised any kind of submission to the local church or to the Lord. Um, I have a very prayerful mother, um, and to see her open line of communication with the Lord was a super beautiful thing in my life. Um, on the flip side of that, I was also raised with a very uh, physically abusive and verbally volatile father. So when your earthly father does not line up with what the scripture says about the Lord, it distorts your entire view of who he is. And so I spent the next 15 years of my life being jammed up with um, issues with how I viewed myself, issues with the things that I turned myself over to, issues with habits that I allowed into my life. Um, and it wasn't until, I'd say probably June of 2020, Colin came into my life, and um, he took the time on a very hard day for me emotionally to really engage my heart about where I was at as a person, where I was at in my walk with the Lord, and to just really know me. And after that conversation, in as loving a way as Colin can, he explained to me that, yeah, he admonished me. And he explained to me that I was not saved, which I had thought I was my entire life, but I had fallen into that trap that so many people do of cultural Christianity. I was in the South. My mom was a believer. I was going to heaven, y'all. I was on my way. Um, and that conversation at the time incited a lot of anger in me. And so I spent the next year of my life reading the word of God, studying the word of God, and trying to figure out, well, if I'm not saved, then what is salvation? I'm going to figure it out. And a year later, I realized that while I had a savior, I had not made him the Lord of my life, and I turned my life over to him. And this church has grown me, has shaped me, and has changed me in more ways than I can count. And I probably have already talked too long, but I want to say a couple of thank yous. 
Colin. I make a lot of jokes about it, but that conversation that you had with me was one of the most loving acts a brother in Christ has ever done for me. You cared more about the eternity of my soul and the great commission that the Lord has placed on your life than about how I felt for you in that moment. Thank you. Tiffany, you have not stopped being my sister since I walked in that door. You have not left my side, and I thank you. And Bo and April Durham. I'm sorry. The way that you two have filled a void in my life that sin left. Enough thank yous aren't there. I'm so thankful for you two. I love you so much. You have healed hurts that you did not cause. I love you. So, I can't. So, Grace Church, that's what pastoral care looks like. And uh, so, it, she, uh, she, I, I was eating at M&W's one night, um, probably a year and a half ago, and Haley pulled me to the side, told me what the Lord was doing in her life, that she had recently got saved, that she, uh, she, she was baptized. And, and so uh, it's my joy to present Haley Sumner to you, Grace Church. If you are in favor of bringing her into the membership of here in Grace Church, can you join me with saying amen? Thank you for sharing. I know uh, my wife told me, she, she's like, if, if Grace Church made me um, speak in front of everybody, I would not join, you know. <laughs> so thank you for that. And um, if you haven't gotten a chance to know Haley yet, please come introduce yourself. Um, welcome her. Um, and, and Grace Church, as we leave here this morning, um, let's, let's live lives that are wor- worthy of, of mimic, of, of, of others to, to, to mimic. And um, to follow. So Grace Church, thank you for being here. We love you. You are sent.